these scriptures today are really wonderful. Uh, if we didn't think that God was generous, we listened to the first reading and the gospel. And the uh, first reading, I'd sum it up with those famous words, eat, drink, and be merry. That's what uh, God says through the prophet. Eat, drink, free, no cost, just come and be satisfied. And then in the gospel, it's a story of feeding 5,000 men, uh, presumably 5,000 women and maybe another couple thousand kids. And they not only ate, they were satisfied. And there were leftovers. So this word today is a word about a generous God who wants to fulfill our deepest hungers and thirst and needs. And that's what we're asked to believe. But I want to go a step further looking at the second reading. And not that Rosita didn't proclaim it well, she did beautifully. But I want to say it in this way. I, I tell people all the time, especially in confession, especially people who are struggling with shame and feeling they're so sinful, I tell them this is a foundational passage. I actually have it written out in English and Spanish and give it to people. See, this is foundational. This, this is where you start. You don't arrive here someday uh, believing this. You start here, this letter to the Romans. Brothers and sisters, what, I repeat, what will separate us from the love of Christ? What? Anguish? Distress? Persecution? Famine? Nakedness? COVID-19? Peril? The sword? No. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. In all these things we conquer overwhelmingly through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor present things, nor future things, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, any other creature, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If we don't start there, then we end up in peril. We end up thinking that sin and shame uh, should rule our life. And, and we, we can't. This is why we start every Mass, we admit we're sinners. Right after the greeting, the Lord be with you, let us call to mind our sinfulness. And we confess to Almighty God that we're sinners. We know that. But that doesn't lessen God's love. If anything, it increases it. And not that God's love changes like He gives more one day. He gives 100% all the time. But God is love. So I, I just think that that reading from Romans is critical as a foundation starting point. And in that context, we listen to this gospel. Now, every, I, I just am so committed to saying this, but I'll tell you why. And, and last night after Mass, I got in a big discussion with somebody who was bothered by what I said. That's all right. Um, you don't have to like what I say. Okay. <laughs> but um, there's two ways to take this gospel. One is just completely literal, exactly what it says, numbers and all, or not literal. This more intuitively and this more literally. Uh, so for those who take literally, good. Uh, don't let me dissuade you in any way. For those who have trouble with the literalness of it, then I want to ask you, please consider what I'm going to say because this is such a rich passage. It is so important that we connect with it but we don't have to connect with it literally. And in fact, if kind of a skeptic, like when you hear things from the scripture, say, well, I don't think it happened exactly that way. That's quite all right. There's always a message still. And in the end, 
You hear me say this often, I'm going to say this till I die. The important thing is after we read and we either take it literally or not or whatever, the real issue is how do we encounter that word now inside? What does it do to us? And this word of God today, I believe, should do a whole bunch to us. Now, um, all four Gospels, and I, I have to make a correction from last night. I, I was off a little bit, but all four Gospels tell this passage. Three of them use the number 5,000, only the number. Uh, Matthew includes a second uh, feeding of, of 4,000, uh, like within the next chapter, I think, in, in Matthew. But in this first one, the 5,000, and it says 5,000 men, and that didn't count the women and the children. And so I'm going to assume this was, this was a society that m held marriage and family very high. So there's probably another 5,000 women. That's 10,000. They probably had at least two kids. That's 12,000. Let's take it up to 15,000. That's a lot of people. And in the story, it says that Jesus, the first thing it says, this little pericope is this. Jesus just heard about, heard about the death of his cousin, John the Baptist. Let me correct this. It does say the death, but it's the assassination. They cut off his head. Herod cut off his head. And of all things, at a party to please his, uh, his stepdaughter and his wife, uh, because he, in a kind of a, not a drunken stupor, but with a little too much in him, he made a promise that he wouldn't back down because he didn't want to look like a fool. So he just had his head cut off and presented on a platter. Isn't that a great party, party thing? Have a head of somebody brought in. Wow. So Jesus hears this, and he went off to mourn him. He went off to be alone, says to a deserted place so he could gather himself and reflect on this and do whatever he needed to do inside. He was taking care of self, but in a very, very profound way. But before he even got off the boat, people had heard that he was going from here to there, so they went there and beat him there. And it says he got off, and there was a vast crowd, 5, 10, 12, 14, 15,000 people, a vast crowd. Now, we can question that. Is this a hyperbole? Is it, you know, was it really a hundred? But, but, but Matthew wants to really hit us with the truth that's hidden in this story about this multiplication of loaves and fish. There's a little symbolism here. There's five loaves and two fish. How much is that? Seven, the perfect number. So this perfect arrangement, five loaves and two fish, that he's going to bless, distribute, and feed 5, 10, 12, 14, 15,000 people. Whoa. Now my first difficulty with the passage is this, and it's mine. Maybe no one else has it, but if only one person here has it with me, then, then I hope I'm, I'm uh, going to touch something that will satisfy you, okay? Um, I, the reason I... I I struggle with it is, um, you know, uh, not just putting aside for this, well, Jesus was the son of God, he could do anything. Okay, okay, I accept that. But how would 15,000, well, 5, 10, 12, 14, 15,000 people witnessing this, and you know people, the cheese made, the, the gossip that would go out in a second, <gasps> did you see that? There were only five loaves and two fish. Oh, I can't believe it. That would go through the crowd of 5, 10, 12, 14, 15,000 people. Would that not change your understanding of who he was? Sure, he was here to cure the sick too, but 
He multiplied five loaves, two fish, 15,000 people were fed, and there were leftovers, and they were completely satisfied. You'd have to be blind, deaf, dumb, an idiot, and stupid to not believe in him. I don't get it. But maybe the, maybe the exaggerated hyperbolic description of this multiplication was to get us to look at something else. That maybe this is the vehicle that's transporting some other details in this story that are huge, that are huge. He goes off alone to mourn John. He gets out of the boat and there's 15,000 people there pressing on him with their sick. Now Jesus could have said, good Lord people, you are so thoughtless and stingy. Can't I even have an hour to mourn my cousin? He immediately engages them. And it says, the words sometimes in the scriptures are just so important, the little details. It said this. When he disembarked and saw the vast crowd, his heart was moved with pity for them. Not that he just noticed them or said, oh my God, or what, what do you want now? His heart was moved with pity. He actually was engaged by them and their needs. And then he began to cure their sick. Now, in contrast to that, the disciples come to him later in the day and say, Jesus, <coughs> there are a lot of people here. There isn't much food. You better tell them to go away. Go, go, get some food for themselves. Take care of their needs. And so Jesus turns on them and says, you take care of their needs. You go feed them. You might say, what a strange passage. The contrast between Jesus and the disciples is really amazing. He gets out of the boat ready to take care of his personal needs, and he's, this vast crowd presses it on him, and he's moved with pity for them. He responds, cures their sick. They say, tell them to go home. There isn't enough food. You better send them away, take care of their needs. And he says, you take care of them. This is so significant because uh, there, there's a whole tradition in our church, uh, and it's told in different ways, uh, that when we experience something in life, we observe it, we reflect on it, and then we go into action. So that theoretically, for example, we see homeless, and we, we get touched by that and say, oh my God. So we reflect on it, perhaps bring it to prayer. Lord, you know, this is so sad. These people don't have the basics. They could starve to death today. What does that mean? What should I do? And then as it becomes clear, I need to do something, something. So I give them a buck, five bucks. I move to action. And this is a really full Christian life, to observe, to reflect, and then to act. And the, the disciples didn't get this. They had walked with him for so long, and here they see a specific moment when he is in mourning, but he observes, he feels pity, compassion, and then he acts. So they say, well, there isn't much food here. He says, well, bring it to me. Five loaves and two fish. He blesses it, 
tells them to distribute it. Sit down, everybody. And then 5, 10, 12, 14, 15,000 people are fed to their satisfaction. And there's leftovers. So, it either happened literally just as I said, or this vehicle of this story and the, this incredible manifestation, miraculous manifestation, is the vehicle to talk to us about, look at Jesus and look at the disciple. Look at the teacher and look at the student. The teacher is showing the way. The teacher is doing what must be done. And the student is still learning. And this is us. This is the church. You know, I got up early today and real early. God, I, 3.45, something like that. Oh, my Lord. So I know they, they say if you wake up in bed, don't just lay there because then you start to train your mind and body that this is, is not a place to sleep. So you're supposed to get up and move to a chair or something. So I do. I go to my easy chair. There I fall asleep real fast. But So I'm there. So I decided this morning to turn on some news early and uh, uh, God I'm losing it right now uh, oh what did I see that struck me it was oh you've ever had one of those moments that's it okay let's shift whatever whatever huh so <laughs> I'll just let me just finish this and say that, that, that I believe we really are looking into a mirror with this scripture, which is often the case. We look at it, we see what's happening, and then we look back at ourselves and say, what does that mean to me? What am I supposed to do? Oh, I know what it was. It was uh, a, a holy name church. Uh, I don't know if it was San Dimas. It may have been, and that's why I got curious. And Somehow on YouTube I had seen it before. And I remember there were three priests from San Dimas and Holy Name, so I thought it was that parish. So I clicked on it. I never found out if it was San Dimas, but this woman got up. They were in the church, but just, uh, you know, three people or whatever, they're just filming it. It's for today's Mass. And this woman gave a nice introduction and everything, and she said, I want to thank everybody who has helped in the food collection. It was very successful. Between 11 and 3, people brought food, and then we bagged it all up and got it to people who need it. So it was so wonderful, we want to do it again August 18th. So I said to myself, Perry Liker, <laughs> why haven't you organized this? And I'm saying to myself, well, I'm 70 years old. Let, let some young one in the community say, let's, let's do this. But I said to myself, that's the right thing. I, I'm looking at, what, 100 people here? I'm not asking for hands. I wonder if there's some here who are just hanging on like this financially. I wonder if there's some who are eating less because they just don't have it. Most of us are a little proud to ask. So maybe some of us just uh, hunker in and just do the best we could do. But I wonder. But what if this community said, well, every family, we can all afford two cans of food. I mean, we, we would have a couple thousand cans of food, I'm sure. And what if we did that just once a month? And, and, and this is just one example of observe, reflect, and then act. Now this is not meant to be a judgmental, condemning homily about, oh, we don't do enough. 
course we don't do enough. We, we're lucky to do sometimes at all. But it's, it's a call, it's a challenge, not a condemnation, but a call and a challenge. And I really think that this scripture today is like, um, it's like discipleship 101. So you come into your college first class and uh, what's the first class we have today? Discipleship 101. Oh, and we go in and hear the basics. And the basics are to be a, a lively people of faith. We observe life. We reflect on it, and then we go into action. Today, as we're called and led to not follow the example of the disciples, but to follow the example of Jesus Christ. And in so doing that, like that woman that got up and said, you know, it was so successful, we got to do it again. That should be the energy in life that comes out of our loving and serving. And that's, I think, that's what we're called to today.